before we start the discussion today with our guest, Corey Beeman uh, Cheatham, I wanted to take a minute to remember the great writer and activist uh, Barbara Ehrenreich. Uh, Ehrenreich, who died last week at age 81, was one of the dedicated members of the Democratic Socialists of America in the 80s and the 90s, staying in DSA and fighting in the years that Clintonian neoliberalism was accelerating, and the majority of people in this country were led to believe capitalism had achieved a final victory and was some end state of history. Ehrenreich is most known for her 2001 book, Nickel and Dimed, on not getting by in America. The book chronicled her three-month attempt to survive on only minimum wage work. I think this passage encapsulates the most important theme of the work. When someone works for less pay than she can live on, when, for example, she goes hungry so that you can eat more cheaply and conveniently, then she has made a great sacrifice for you. She has made you a gift of some part of her abilities, her health, her life. The working poor, as they're approvingly termed, are in fact a major, are in fact the major philanthropists of our society. They neglect their own children so that the children of others will be cared for. They live in substandard housing so that other homes will be shiny and perfect. They endure privation so that inflation will be low and stock prices high. To be a member of the working poor is to be an anonymous donor, a nameless benefactor to everyone else. In the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast, this is your Highlands Bunker Podcast. Super Producer Carl is here in the studio monitoring proceedings, and our guest today is the chair of the newly formed First State Abortion Fund and someone with very deep roots in Wilmington, uh, and I am pleased to welcome Corey Beeman Chetham to the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Hey there. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Oh, it's good to meet you. Um, before we get into like the nuts and bolts of the First State Abortion Fund or just the, the issue and its acceleration in the past several months, um, we usually like to do just like a background and bio, um, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, how it might have sort of influenced you to do public service or activism and just what it was like. Um, because especially for um, activists that come from um, very interesting stories usually. And so we, we try to get some of them if we can. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, as you already said, I'm Corey Beeman, um, and I am not actually a Delaware native, um, but I grew up in Delaware. Um, I was originally born in Bermuda. Um, my father is a, well, was a pastor. Um, he's a bishop now, um, but he was the pastor of Bethel Amy Church um, in Wilmington. And my mother... She was my school nurse for a really long time in Wilmington, and then she started her own nonprofit organization focused on HIV AIDS um, prevention and awareness and helping people who are living with HIV have access to medical treatment and support. Um, so that was kind of my childhood growing up, very weird dynamics um, in a house with a minister and a house with a person whose focus is like sexual health. Um, so those conversations at dinner were really interesting, um, but they did instill in me um, my passion for public service, um, my passion for community engagement and awareness, 
um, especially around health disparities within the black community. Um, so that's been a major part of my life um, and a major part of my focus, especially around HIV work. Um, and I recently uh, kind of, I've always been very outspoken about the things that I care about, especially around women's reproductive rights, especially around um, equality for all, um, especially when it comes to sexual orientation or identity. Um, I do as myself identify as a queer cisgender black woman, um, very proudly of that. And um, so I've always been kind of loud and outspoken. <laughs> it might be my musical theater background, but that's who I've always been. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I do find that very interesting that your mom um, was sort of in um, health activism for HIV and AIDS, and your and your your dad's uh, dad's preaching. Yeah, that's pretty great. I know you you know that um, it's a you know a fairly famous church. He's a, a pretty accomplished individual. People can look that up if they want to and see what that's all about. We'll leave that to the side. <laughs> um, because what I really want to get into is this. Um, my entire life, and we talked about like my age, where I'm coming from. Um, the idea now, I I I don't remember obviously um, pre Roe v Wade, so I grew up in the late '70s, '80s. But as I became politically aware, um, this idea that Roe v Wade could be under threat or abortion rights being under threat, and the idea we had to codify Roe v Wade at the at the federal level was always dangled in front of, like, Democrats as, like, a little carrot. And, you know, uh, famously, uh, Barack Obama fumbled the ball uh, and backed down on what he promised to do and pulled the carrot away. But while all of this is happening, the chance that Roe v. Wade gets overturned is, like, the slow march to, like, man, that'll never happen. And then, you know, it's hard to get abortion some places, but that's, it's still legal and, and, and we'll, 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 we'll work it out. Then it got harder and harder some places. Some places you had to drive. You know, even, I was, I was reading today, even when Arkansas had, uh, there was only one clinic. And so every, the, the, you know, people were driving three up to five, six hours um, to get to one clinic in a state. That was before. Um, and now it's happened. So now we've, we've got the Dobbs decision, and everybody um, seems to be a lot more motivated to, to work on this. Um, first question is, like, what – and I've asked this to a lot of people now to get their feeling. Like, what when, – when the decision came down, did you have a particular feeling? I mean, obviously, it, like, as I said, it's been this slow march. It wasn't, like, a surprise, and it certainly wasn't a surprise since the opinion leaked months before, and that wasn't even really a surprise. Uh, but when it happened, I mean, what were, what were your feelings about it? I mean, my initial feelings, knowing that it was looming, um, and it was looming in a space where it was kind of almost unfathomable to be like, oh, this is something that just makes sense. Why, why would that be something that makes sense be taken away? And to, so to see it actually happen, I was, you know, flabbergasted a little bit because it's like, why would you do this? Why would anyone have a say in what people should do with their own individual bodies? And why would anybody have a say in taking that away from someone? So it, it definitely ignited a fire that, again, I've always been outspoken about, but it definitely ignited this like 
burning fire to say like, okay, now what do we do? And it's not, you know, do we go out and march? Do we go out and protest? Do we call, you know, legislators? You know, because I felt like that that just wasn't enough. It's like, no, who do I need to contact? Who do I need to be in front of? And how do we continuously make this an annoyance until someone says, okay, we have to change it. And if it doesn't get changed, how do we create our own system? And that was that was my motivating factor. That was my thought process. Yeah, I think that's so important because my one of the things that was discouraging um, to me, and it's not everywhere, but a lot of places, a lot of places where abortion access is quote unquote good, mm-hmm. or services are like in Delaware was codified a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Like years ago, there was still this idea like, well, that's it. I mean, that's that's all we can do, and just like cross our fingers take money from the same lousy people, don't really don't really start a fuss. That's the other thing Planned Parenthood is famous for is like, especially here, just taking establishment money and not really causing a fuss about mm-hmm. anything. And I think that attitude uh, sort of allowed that long march to disaster was like, well, if we just don't say anything, we'll, we'll be fine. Right. That's not really how it works. Never. And so this... A first aid abortion fund is a huge change from that approach. Um, can you talk a little bit about the background of it, uh, what it is exactly, and what it aims to do? Um, so first aid abortion fund um, is the first uh, actually developed and fully uh, backed fund in the in the state of Delaware. Um, it actually came out as a brainchild from a collective of people, but uh, one of those persons being our uh, illustrious leader and president, which is uh, Sarah Stowens. Um, And, you know, we obviously saw a need, especially prior to, um, you know, the decision, the Dobbs decision, but we saw a need that reproductive rights not only needed to be uh, solidified in Delaware, um, but also support it and not just support it for Delaware, but for those who are in, as I like to call it, the 95 corridor. I mean, there are some people who who have access, especially, you know, or don't have access outside of Pennsylvania or, you know, further. We wanted to be able to create access for anyone who can get to Delaware. We would do it for them. Um, and so our mission and our goal, which is also on our website, is that we want to be able to provide total care for abortive services. So not just the actual service itself, but access to mental health, uh, transportation, um, housing, uh, counseling, food, you name it. We want to be able to provide a total service and not just, you know, I know when you go to Planned Parenthood or any of those abortive services providers, you know, it's just about a surgical or medical service. We want to be able to allow a person to feel whole and totally cared for. um, And that's what our fund is going to help pay for yeah and and from what i understand i did some research on it in the last few days Mm -hmm. um and i and i had known uh, about other sort of uh, organizations like this Mm -hmm. mostly in the south at that time yellow hammer being one of them Mm -hmm. it's a network um so the states have these abortion funds we are in a position where we need to uh, be like safe haven. So we need to expand services here so that 
people can get medical care that they're refused by basically neo-Confederates other places. So, it, yeah, it's about making sure people know who to call or who mm-hmm. to contact, having money to get them here, having money for childcare or time off work, mm-hmm. having money um, to lodge them if they need it, then having money for the procedure and any other care that's surrounding that. We're providing that. And, and this is a great opportunity because you guys, from what I understand, will network with, say, other abortion funds in other states, come together and figure out these are the people who need services. These are where they are. This is how we're going to tackle and how to approach this. Um, so it sort of connects safe havens or what we need to what we are into the bargain is making sure that everybody who we can get here to get service gets it. And then other people are going to be working in concert you know, making sure that everything works properly. Absolutely. Is that, is that a good, is that a good sketch yeah. of it? So we, so we are actually, um, the network that you're talking about, there is an organization called NANF or some people call it NANF. Um, but it's NNAF. That is the national network of abortion funds. Okay. They have, they are a national network and they do work with smaller individual, um, funds that are spread throughout the country. And so with those funds, they do pinpoint and say, okay, there's a person here that needs access. So, um, and I want people to understand that, you know, we're not just seeking people outside of Delaware. We're also caring for people who are in Delaware as well. Um, As we all know, an abortion, not only is it not accessible some places, but it's also, it's not inexpensive. It's very, it's very costly. Um, And some people, you know, don't have the money to care for a child, let alone pay for an abortion. So we have to be, cognizant and aware of that and so when we're looking at who needs it or how they need it there are some entities out there that may cover a portion but like i said there's there are people who may cover 50 percent of the actual service um whether whether it's surgical or medical but there are other things that people do need cost getting to the facility Um, like you said requesting time off there's so many other things that people don't think about that it's one of those things that we want people to come to us and say, I just need help. And we want to be able to say, okay, you focus on you. We will take care of the rest. Yeah. So speaking of the payment, and this is, uh, I, I would I would uh, be remiss if I didn't mention, uh, this is the, the Nick Beard sponsored portion of the program. Yes. Um, one of the big issues is Medicaid. Um, because for for. For reactionary political reasons, um, we we've decided that this isn't healthcare and it doesn't count, and so I don't, I think people don't really understand that. But like nowhere, this is out of pocket cash transaction, no matter where you go, um, because for some reason we're just we don't, you know, we don't look at it like healthcare. Um, that has to change. Uh, Medicaid in the states, you know. Codify if, if if you're uh, if you're a Delaware elected politician and you are somehow um, campaigning on or have campaigned on or are proud of the fact that we codified Roe v. Wade, then the next thing you should be doing is figuring out how to get Medicaid payments to uh, abortion providers for people who have Medicaid. That's the next step for them. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I know that's something that. Obviously, Nick is very uh, involved with, but I assume that the the, the uh, first state abortion fund will also be doing s- advocacy on different issues. That probably being a big one. Um, is that something you guys are planning on doing? Yeah, um, 
I would say that we are, with Nick Beard's help, um, we are actively trying to push our limits with our policy and being able to kind of weigh on our legislators and our connections uh, with legislators to say, hey, like, we really need some focus on these dollars and how dollars are being spent because ultimately, and even if you're in a situation where a person needs a medical or surgical abortion to save their own lives, that, that is something that they do have to dig out of their pocket and take care of. So it's really important that the, you know, the, the politicians in our area hear us when we're saying like, this is the voice of the people who are saying like this need there's there's a change that needs to be happening amongst access, especially for those who are at I don't even want to say highest risk, but those who are the most likely to find themselves in a circumstance of needing an abortion are those persons who are on Medicaid. Yeah. Since that's a political issue, let, let's expand a little bit because we talked about like post Dobbs and this long march to to losing our, our, our rights. Um, but now post Dobbs, and, and this is like beyond polling, um, like actual things have happened, which would indicate that people are, are very pissed off. Um, Kansas had a plebiscite and voted um, to codify just as a as a as a matter of referendum. Mm-hmm. Pretty overwhelmingly, I think, especially for Kansas, I think it kind of made people think like, oh, okay, well, people are. This is actually very. Uh, not, it's not popular. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a sort of an odd political win where uh, I don't want to call it. Odd. It's not odd. It's just sort of out of character for uh, for Alaska, uh, where. Uh, Sarah Palin, you know, a, a sort of a morphed into a MAGA sort of mm-hmm. person, um, was defeated by an indigenous woman. Well, she's an indigenous Alaskan woman, right? Yeah. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, so there's been, like, actual people going and voting for things that would that would make me believe that, and this is probably a big driver of people being very pissed off, Um, I mean, what's your what's your take on that political thing? I mean, are you are you feeling that? Are you feeling that? Or is that kind of like, fake no like i don't know i'm always very i'm always very i'm very worried to like i'm not not predicting anything that's going to happen i'm just saying i've noticed this so like i don't want to say this is going to sweep all of our favorite you know politicians into office or whatever i mean you you can hope right only one person (laughs) can really hope but i i do feel like there is a a murmur that's growing into a chatter and i i that that progression is what is needed if we want to see some action on i mean i guess you know in a perfect world we'd be like yes can we please have this dobbs decision just wiped away but no we have to actively combat it and fight it and that it's not going to take you know our high level politicians it's going to take every local legislator every local voice to be a- across the nation to be able to actually make an impact. So if that is happening on that like uptick of moving from a murmur to a chatter to a, a, a yell and a scream, I want that to happen. And I think that more of it should be happening if it's not already. I think we're on the right trajectory. Yeah, and, and that's what I like about like the first date abortion fund and the idea behind it. You said it before. Like I have no problem getting out in the street um, when you have to make your sort of make it known that this is a thing, mm-hmm. whatever, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it is, 
whatever issue. Um, it's some, usually it's really bad, you know, cop violence and stuff, but abortion rights, women's issues. But if it's if it's just to sort of like let off steam, to say like you did it, that's not enough, right? Anymore, um, you know the things like the political machinations of the Democratic Party. That's, I mean, look, they've they've shown over the past thirty years what that's what that's going to do. If you leave it to that, you're doomed. Um, so it really is going to take creative efforts like this to actually get people inspired to make a mass movement because that's I, I think about that stuff like what can people get what material sort of important things can you get actually involved with and it's not a you know can't be electoral mm-hmm. it can't even be a, a one time or, or just getting in the street a few times or being sort of a radical organizer uh, it's got to be this sustained and very strategic pressure exactly where it needs to go that's why I think this is important yeah, I think I think what we have to do outside of just continuously using our voice is we have to, and I know this sounds like a bad thing, but we have to continuously make people uncomfortable. We have a lot of people have become complacent with like, okay, well it doesn't affect me, so I don't have to focus on it. Yeah, I know it's a problem, but it's not my problem. And I think that that's this narcissistic wave that we're experiencing Maybe it's generation generational, maybe not. But we have to be able to continuously annoying people about it in order for them to be like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Like, this is a problem. And if we don't make it a trending topic or if we don't keep talking about it and bringing it up, even in casual conversation. Oh, yeah. How's the weather? Oh, did you know today is September the 8th? Did you also know that abortion funds are still an issue? Did you also know that, you know, there's a water crisis in Mississippi? These are like it has to be casual conversations that you bring up consistently that people are like, you know what? You've said it to me enough that I actually need to do something now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think. I saw this was a couple months ago uh, when I talked to uh, to Nick and Kirsten Walther, I guess was here uh, right after the decision. I saw an interview with a the lead attorney of a conservative group. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one. It was uh, in '72 after the the Roe decision came down, and he's talking to like Walter Cronkite. You know, it's this old good 72, it's black and white, you know. Um, and he, he said, you know, we're going to we're gonna get this overturned. We think it's wrong. You know, it's you know, the typical Christian sort of reactionary bit. Um, and that was, you know, 35 years ago or uh, 40 years ago. And, uh, and they did it. And they never stopped. Like, it wasn't a thing. They made it a thing. Every, the, the people who just wanted to run away from it. It was sort of uncomfortable. People didn't want to talk about like what they they didn't weren't sure about it. Like I'm not sure about how to do a knee replacement, so I just shut the fuck up about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not. I don't have to be. I I I don't have to personally, ethically feel anyway about any medical procedure. And people need to start just doing that. Abortion. Yes. That's a thing. People get it. That's fine. Period. Everybody everybody should get it if they want it. That's it. That's the end. Like and and but I think you you said it the best. People are very uncomfortable, um, really having these conversations. They're, I mean, they're uncomfortable having political conversations, really. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to to start really being uh, aggressive in that. Absolutely. Area. 
I'm the type of person that if I wasn't if I wasn't married, if I was single, if I was going out on like, you know, quick dates, it's like top three questions I'm asking you, like, okay, what's your favorite food? Ah, oh, what are you listening to? Abortion, yes or no? Okay, good. Like those are the these are things that are qualifying people and we're like I don't wanna say dividing and culling, but it's like one of those things where it's like there needs to be a clear stance and everyone needs to take a clear stance and that's why we started the abortion fund because even though, you know, in Delaware you wouldn't be considered a situation where you know, we have a abortion crisis and like, you know, we, we knew that we were safe, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, no, it should be accessible for everyone, regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're doing and regardless of how you get it. Because guess what? It's your choice. Do you want a baby? Yes or no? No, that's OK. It's fine. Yeah, exactly right. I think for for too long, it was a it was a very strange political issue. Where it was like, well, we don't really talk about it. I don't have to talk about it. Don't, don't really say it. Don't, you know, it's just like, yeah, we're good with it. But, you know, when it, when it comes up, we just we just ignore it. This is like the like Obama did. Yeah. Or Chris Coons. I saw Chris Coons at Planned Parenthood fundraisers. But I know he doesn't give a shit. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like they had, you had your turn. You had your chance to do what you should have done and you didn't do it. And you really actually, I, I would venture, complete guess, but, I mean, I would venture to say he still doesn't care. Because, oh, it's legal in Delaware. What the hell am I going to do? Yeah, we could codify it, I guess, but that's uh, filibuster. Uh, oh, did I not, did I vote for too many Trump judges and now we can't? Now the judiciary is against us? Oh, uh, sorry. I went to the Planned Parenthood function three years ago. Didn't you see me? Like, that's, the de- that's to where the Democrats are. And so, yeah, there, there's going to be a lot more confrontation, I think. And, and I don't, I, I'm wondering how that's going to pan out. I mean, is it bad to have that confrontation? Not to me, it isn't. <laughs> okay, okay, just making sure. Because I'm me, like, sometimes you, I, I, you know, jokingly had this conversation with my sister today. She was, and we were talking about things being perfect, and she was like, "Yeah, you know, I wish it was." I was like, honestly, I don't think I want things to be perfect because you need a little conflict, and you need honest, you need purpose and reason. And that's where the that confrontation and that conflict do arise, and that's why we're doing what we're doing because we have to make sure. Everything is is not for naught. You know what I mean? We have to make sure that we're continuing that momentum and pushing that envelope, even if people don't think that it's important or a hot topic. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm I'm so happy that this is happening because I, I think. I hope, I guess, going back to it, that it is something that can get people to understand that things can get pretty serious if you get complacent. If you just sort of want, if you if the status quo is sort of working for you, if you're getting funding, if mm-hmm. you're if your state's blue, um, you know, if you know all of that stuff, and and if you're complacent, you're gonna you're gonna wind up actually not having it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're gonna lose ground. Yeah, and that's you know that's what happened here. Carl, is your is your mic on? Yes, it is. So you're out there every day. In the trenches, in the political trenches, um, are some of these? Uh, are, are, is this a, 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 a sort of a, 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 a salient topic in, in local races that you know that people that we're trying to expand what Delaware is about? Um, is, is, is or is that something that's just like it's too? Nobody has really figured out from a strategy perspective how to how to do that yet. I mean, is that how's that is that something that's happening out there? I would say that it's definitely one of the top issues we hear from people because obviously you get, you know, 
there's the inflation stuff that's still something that people care about uh but i mean the most often thing is you know you say oh what what are things you care about and people are like uh because you know they're just cooking dinner and then yeah. showing up at their <laughs> door but like when people do answer it's like usually um like for the people that do answer a lot of times that's the big especially if it's a, a woman mm-hmm. um and yeah i think you know when we bring up if a candidate, if that's one of their focuses, so like Shanae, obviously that's a big focus for her, for Deshauna, for, for for most of our candidates, really. Um, when we bring that up, it's almost always something that people do latch on to. Is like, oh yeah, I do want to see that. Like, and we just saw ASU just released um, some information earlier today that they did some polling on it, and Medicaid abortion is one of the like something like two thirds, seventy percent of people in Newcastle County support it. Um, yeah, of and course. yet none of our legislators, you know. Of course, seven, I mean, and this is this is. I mean, again, going back to the 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 Kansas uh, mm-hmm. mem- uh, referendum, like s- people need to know when you when you. This is why it's strategic, right? We can get aggressive now because we know we have the support behind us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to get aggressive with powerful people. Uh, that's just tough shit. Uh, I feel pretty. I feel pretty good on this one. And yeah, I, I also don't think it's a, um, you know, look at look at the real powerhouses in state politics that um, that have been elected that hopefully by the time you hear this have won primaries. Yeah. Um, and, and further, who have been who have been built up to win primaries in the future if they just lost a primary last week or whatever it is, um, they're going to be ready to run again. It's 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 women. It's women of color. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, non-binary and queer women. Um, it's just fucking awesome. And it happened. The last thing, and, I, and I'm I, you know again, we're speaking before the primary, so I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> so I don't look fucking stupid by saying something. But but yeah, I mean, we're going to get some victories, and 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 it's going to keep keep coming. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a, a huge part of it. Yeah, and I think that we have a a lot of support um, from a lot of the politicians in the area who are you know aware of what we're doing um but we are where we're really focused on i mean because we obviously we don't want anyone to pledge to us and be like oh yeah i'm definitely doing this but we we have had some people who are vocal and are aware of us and know that we are a resource and that is the biggest thing because being a resource um, for those politicians and their constituents is important to us. So important. Yeah. What the website's up. I know that. Yeah. Uh, people, we are. We will link to it. Obviously. Um, what can people get involved with? Um, I, I. Everybody knows everybody needs money. Yeah. But this actually, I. I you know, thank God the primary's over, so I can say this without Carl mm-hmm. cutting it out. <laughs> Really, what you should be doing is giving to uh, movements like this, because uh, again, for the strategic reasons we said, this is going. This has the potential to be something that, in, an, in the interest of like socialist leftist solidarity, that we can bring a lot of people together on. Um, so yeah, I mean, and there's is there other ways to get involved too? Absolutely. What do you guys got going on? So we have a lot going on. Like I mentioned before, um, just in the past couple of weeks, we've been really on an uptick um we have a ton of merch available on our website um uh there's some 
really cool designs that our uh, development chair, Melissa Bryson, put together. Um, and you can purchase those through Bonfire. Um, T-shirts, mugs, bags, you name it, we've got it. Um, we also, just as of September 1st, um, we initiated our phone lines. So we have a hotline. So if people need to call us, if they want to talk to somebody, if they're going through the situation, they don't have answers. It, you could be a person who needs services themselves, a friend of a friend of a friend, a mom, an aunt, an uncle, a brother. If you just need answers to questions, we're here. So we have a hotline that's available. You can give us a call. Um, and that number is also posted on our website. If you're interested in volunteering, we love volunteers. We're a nonprofit. We have our 501c3. We hope one day to have a staff and be able to, you know, afford our staff. Um, but we are looking to grow um, anybody who wants to get involved. And then, of course, putting your money where your mouth is. Um, we need donations. Hosting a house party, which is a great way to, you know, get funds. People can host house parties, don't raise those donations on their own. Um, and we're just, you know, we're in a very beginning stage, but we've had so much support already. Um, we just want to get the word out there. Delaware has a fund. Um, we're funding abortions outside of, you know, the ACLU and other organizations. We're specifically there for those services as a total care package. Um, so it's pretty much what we have to offer. Follow us, obviously, on our social media, uh, First State Abortion Fund. I know it's a super long name, um, but you can follow us on all of our social media sites with First State Abortion Fund. Yeah, I, I had forgotten about the um, the hotline. I think that's incredible. It's just like a want, like if anybody's concerned about anything, whether you were um, the the, uh, the person who's looking for that health care or uh, whether your uh, partner, loved one, whatever just a concerned or if you just want to know how it works like call it you know uh i i think that that peace of mind is can be like just to know you can call somebody and get your questions answered by people who are on your side mm -hmm. um i'm sure there's a screening process because you're going to get a lot of uh i'm sure you're you're i mean I, I don't want to get i don't want to get too far into the weeds of like what your plans are but i'm sure that you are are prepared for different types of um, uh, infiltration or of kickbacks course. or whatever. Of course. We're, I mean, we are a group of very well-educated folk, um, very read into this topic and, and what has happened nationally or, you know, we're, we're not, we're not green going into this. Like, you know, we, we know what we, we are anticipating all types of, circumstances um and one of the biggest things that we actually helped developed along with the aclu and with the support of the pro bono office of the attorney general um we've created a document called know your rights and that's like the best thing that we definitely want to get out there to all persons um to be able to empower the the average individual with just the, the facts the information the the hard numbers, the what you can, cannot do information and how they're supported. And that Know Your Rights document um, actually links to all of the uh, organizations I just mentioned. If you need to reach out to the ACLU, if you need to reach out to the Attorney General's office, all of that information is available on that Know Your Rights document. And, um, you know, we anticipate that if someone does give us a call to 
quote unquote bust our chops. We're ready for it. Yeah, Project Veritas, get on the horn. We'll embarrass you again. So I know your time is pressed. So rather than a fun half, we'll do a fun question so you can like let's end on that. Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, noticed that you are in the arts. Yeah. You mentioned earlier when we were sitting here talking that you're, you actually are currently in a play at a community theater in yes, Harvard Grace, Maryland. <laughs> um, how did you get into it? And what how, how much stuff have you done? Like what kind of stuff do you like to do? Um, I mean... Uh, you're in a you're in a musical right now, a yes. very famous one uh, <laughs> called Rent. Um, yeah, how did you get into that, and um, and how much do you do it? It's just kind of um, cool. Well, before I got married and had a kid, I used to do it a lot. Um, uh, full <laughs> a lot disclosure, of say that. I right. <laughs> yeah, like well, before before it was a lot. I was uh, beholden to someone else. No, I. I actually have my degree in musical theater from the Westchester University. Go Rams. Go Rams. Um, and I have done quite a bit of community theater, a couple of musicals and straight plays at the Wilmington Drama League. Um, I have been in Philadelphia Fringe Festival. Um, I'm trying to think of all things. I I have some small, like, extra work that I've done on some, like, TV shows that are... You're like it's it's law and order. There's Corey. What's happening? <laughs> um, well, it's, she just it's, ordered a hot dog. Right, I just ordered a hot dog <laughs> right there. Um, I was in a Netflix movie. Oh, cool. Um, I did like a a web series. Um, where'd they shoot the Netflix film? Um, Georgia. Okay, yeah, it's kind of common. Yeah, I was gonna say Georgia or Vancouver. Georgia is like that's the spot. It is. It is a quiet space where everything is filmed, pretty much. If it's not filmed in, filmed in Vancouver, it's probably filmed in Georgia and or New York. Those are like the hot spots. You'd be surprised how quickly they can turn, you know, Georgia Pinewood into like the Sahara Desert. And you're like, what? Am I still in Georgia? Um, but I did a couple of things. But I, I mean, I love performing. I won't lie about it. Uh, my mom asked me because I asked, this is my return to the stage after a five year absence. Um, uh-huh. you know, COVID and a bunch of stuff. So right. my mom was like, did you get bit by the acting bug? And I'm like, I don't know if I got bit, but I'm always going to want to do it. Like, yeah. in a perfect world, I work for sci-fi and I do content development. So Nice. So you do it. So you'll do uh, musical theater. You'll do, like, drama, anything. Anything. That's great. Yeah, I I, I, that's pretty cool. I, I, um, I, again, I think had a lot to do with starting this. And also, like the, uh, the with COVID, you know, I don't think we've been to it in, in a theater in two and a half years, maybe. But yeah, we used to go to live theater all the time. I I love it. Go back. I, <laughs> I never. I I let me tell you, this will be my bit, and then you can react and all things. I um I never. It was hard for me to get into like musicals. I didn't really go to many. I liked like a drama. Like I remember going into a little little box theater at the University of Delaware to see the, the drama about Rothko's life called mm-hmm. Red. I love that stuff. I love being like tight like that. <sniffs> Nurse Susan got us tickets for, I think it was my birthday, maybe five years ago, off-Broadway, went to the little theater on Walnut Street and saw uh, Book of Mormon. But we sat in like the second row on the on, a, on a, uh, an aisle. Mm-hmm. So I could see down into the orchestra pit. Mm-hmm. So even though there's a screen there and it's underneath, I could see the, the full band. Mm-hmm. So that was something. And then when you're that close to people like 
just ripping out songs and dancing, and you see him doing it from like maybe 15 feet away, it's actually incredibly compelling. So I, that it was. It, I remember that experience. I tell that story from time to time because like musicals get like sort of a bad rap, and I and I guess when they're on TV, that's kind of dumb. But seeing him in person actually rips. <laughs> it is. I really like it. It is. I mean, it's so weird because I love going to a musical, but it's such a different beast when you're in a musical because there are so many elements. Um, and then you, I mean, people don't know like how grueling it the process is to get to that finished product to when the curtains open and the show starts. I mean, I guarantee you, there are so many people who are who are in this life. Whether you're professional, you do community theater, they're like, I'm so glad it's over after the first run. Because it's like they've probably been doing rehearsals all day, every day, for several hours. Then the week before the show goes up, you probably had a Saturday rehearsal that runs for 12 hours and you get a minimal lunch break. Then you got to do the same thing every night over and over and over. And sometimes you're doing it just because you have to fix the lights. Or sometimes they're doing it because the music wasn't right and the cue wasn't right and God forbid someone didn't remember their lines and then it's like, you have to do all of that. Remember the dancing, remember? And it's so much that like, I told my husband jokingly, I'm like, man, I think I lost a couple pounds. Yeah, I mean, Especially it's... if I gotta go up and down ladders <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. I know you're a little bit pressed. Uh, Corey Beeman, the, uh, it's the first state abortion fund. Yes. Say it just like that. You'll First remember. Abortion fund. First yeah. State Abortion Fund. Um, we're going to link to everything. I think it's an incredible resource. And I think it, not only that, I, I think sort of um, accelerating the effort, you know, in, in general terms uh, about what sort of what we're about and what we're trying to do from a just a mass, move, mass movement politics and getting more people involved, making sure people's medicine is covered, making sure their medical procedures are covered, making sure maybe their housing is covered, making sure all of this different stuff. This is a huge, huge part of it. So thanks for um, coming in and talking about it. Absolutely. If, and I can, if I can say just like one thing, um, it would be to encourage any person to share their story. Um, I know that when abortions were, you know, back alley abortions and things like that, people were fearful to tell people and tell the world or share that they've had an abortion. But as a person who has had an abortion, I can say that sharing my story has made me more empowered to be about this cause and not be fearful of the judgment of others. So if you share your story, you never know who you're going to be able to save and you never know who you're going to be able to impact and change. Yeah, I think it's crucial because... Unfortunately, um, back alley or different circumstances, we're going to start to see that again. We already have. Yeah. We've seen um, adolescent um, girls um, have to go out of state after being assaulted and raped. Uh, we've seen people almost die of sepsis. Yeah. And, and no intervention is done because the doctors are afraid that they're going to, uh, you know, that they're going to face criminal charges. Right. Um, we're going to start seeing that again. So I think, like you said, I, I'm really not in a position to like ask people. I know people do that. I know like I think people telling their stories is important. It really was important for me when I was younger to understand um, 
But I'm glad you asked because I think it's going to become even more important because, unfortunately, some of those stories we're going to see over the next six months to a year to two years or whenever we can sort of get moving on this, is they're going to be bad. And, and people are going to have to realize why they're bad, look at the history of why we all let this happen together. Yeah. We let it happen. So if anybody's in Delaware that thinks that they're not somehow not responsible for what happened in Ohio or Arkansas or Texas, you are. Yep, absolutely. This impacts everyone. That's right. So, Corey, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Carl, you're amazing. Carl is amazing. <laughs> also, left his best. <laughs>